Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Do not let the second half of the game fool you because the offense wasn't doing jack. The defense would get worn out and eventually figured out by Tom Brady. The Cowboys have a very good problem, and that is they know what an elite quarterback looks like. And uh, unfortunately, during this during this couple months here without Tony Romo, they have to remind themselves of what uh, normal quarterbacks do look like and what a lot of franchises constantly deal with, and and that's. That, that nothing's written in stone, but they're wide open here. Uh, they're wide open to starting Christian Michael. That's a fact. Uh, they are they are hearing the owner say, uh, boy, I, I sure think that old McFadden had a good game. And the coaching staff is going, what are you talking about? He did not have a good game. Well, that's the way it is. Come on. Come on. That's just the way it is. All right, all right, all right. You are now rocking with the best. Thank you so much for joining another episode of Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. I am your host, as always, K.D. Drummond. Find me on CowboysHQ.com. And, of course, on Twitter, follow me at K.D. Drummond NFL. We are here at the Cowboys bye week. It is week six. They limp into the bye week on a three-game losing streak at the record of two and three, following a 30-6 drubbing at the hands of the New England Patriots. After losing back-to-back games against NFC South foes, they took on their first AFC opponent of the season. Lost badly. Knocked them out of first place. But for some strange reason, I'm still filled with optimism about this team's prospects. Maybe it's because we've got the recent announcement that the Cowboys have decided to make a quarterback change. Today is Wednesday, October 14th. Yesterday, it leaked that they would be replacing Brandon Whedon with Matt Castle. While we don't think that Matt Castle has a skill set that is too much more remarkable than what Brandon Whedon brings to the table, we hope that his experience will allow him to execute the bus driver game plan much better than what we saw Whedon do in his atrocious effort against the New England Patriots. For the first two games of his tenure, Whedon was able to complete a high percentage of passes, have the offense scoring 24 points a game, but there were still obvious issues with his decision-making, his accuracy, his willingness to throw receivers open, 
And that all came to an ugly, evil head against the Patriots. We saw the return of Greg Hardy, who is a manimal out there. Just found out today that he single-handedly has eliminated Nate Solder, the Patriots' left tackle, from the rest of the 2015 season. Solder has a torn bicep that undoubtedly occurred when he was reaching, trying to keep a hold on Greg Hardy as he was putting his barrage of pressure on Tom Brady. His return, as well as Rolando McClain, instantly transformed the Dallas defense. As I tweeted, do not let the second half of the game fool you because the offense wasn't doing jack. The defense would get worn out and eventually figured out by Tom Brady. This is going to be a legit defense. I don't want to take too much of your time as we are in a bye week with my spewing vitriol rage in some people's eyes, also known as facts. But this team needs to do, well, let me rephrase that. What this team needs to do is come out of the next four games with at the bare minimum one victory and most likely two before Tony Romo returns. I sincerely think with the defense getting all of these guys back has a great chance to lead this team as long as the quarterback can do his job. And Whedon apparently cannot do that job. Now, yesterday I had a chance to talk to the one and only Bob Stern, the blog father, he'll be on the show in a second. As soon as the Matt Castle news started to rise, we had a chance to talk about that. What has occurred today is we have found out that the Cowboys are replacing Ron Leary with Lyle Collins at left guard. And apparently Christine Michael is going to get more of a workload at running back. There's been some other tryouts and some other moves that the Cowboys have made. So for that, of course, we will have Cowboys insider Mike Fisher on to talk that out. And all in all, it will be a jam-packed episode of Crunch Time for you, my faithful listeners, who I am honored and humbled that you choose to spend some of your quality Cowboys time with me. So let's get it. Without further ado, the one and only Bob Stern right here on Crunch Time with KD. And that's my favorite intro music because anytime we have on this guest, it is a session that you will remember for history. It is the one and only Cowboys blog father, <laughs> Mr. Bob Stern. How are you doing, sir? Hey, how's it going? Man, hey, those setups are, put so much pressure on me. 
hey, man, you always come through in the clutch, man. It's like you're Tony Romo or something. It's it's amazing how good you are in the fourth quarter. Man, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Great to be back All with right. you, by the way. Yeah, it is, it is a great time to have you on Cowboys Crunch Time here with uh, – with the Cowboys going into their bye week or in the midst of their bye week, I should say, and so much is going on through the first five games of the season uh, moving forward as we prepare for the New York Giants. And like I said, so much going on that we had to get your take on things. I wanted to start it off on a positive note because losing three in a row, there's, you know, very little that people are smiling about right now. Uh, but right. before we get, but before we get into the plan conversation that I had for you, it has leaked out that the Cowboys have made the transition from Brandon Whedon to Matt Castle. Castle will uh, step in and take over the starting quarterback role against the New York Giants. Rumor has that the Cowboys didn't want it to get out, so you kind of got to wonder if it was from Brandon Whedon's camp that <laughs> kind of let it go when he was uh, informed that he wasn't going to be the, the starting quarterback. But what's your overall take on the transition or what Castle can bring that Whedon wasn't bringing? Well, you know, let's let's be honest here. Matt Castle and Brandon Whedon are both what they are, which uh, yep. sounds like a trite cliche, but in reality what it is is uh, the fact that the Cowboys have a very good problem, and that is they know what an elite quarterback looks like. And uh, yep. unfortunately, during this, during this couple months here without Tony Romo, they have to remind themselves of what uh, normal quarterbacks do look like and what a lot of franchises constantly deal with. And, and that's the Brandon Whedon's and Matt Castle's of the world. So the idea that Matt Castle can come in here and fix everything is uh, probably far-fetched and fantasy land. However, um, in looking carefully at these three starts, I think this is uh, I think this is a good indication of, uh, how fantasy football might um, lead some fans in the wrong direction because they automatically look at quarterback numbers. Uh, they look at uh, completion percentage. They might look at quarterback rating and say, hey, what's the big deal about Brandon Whedon's uh, job uh, performance? He's doing fine. He's not, he's not 7 for 25. He's 22 for 26. How can you guys have a problem with that? And, and that's why the nuance of uh, football – uh, is far different than fantasy football. And uh, in the game of football, uh, your quarterback has to do uh, a number of things well that will never show up uh, on a piece of paper. Um, Pre-snap pre diagnosing a defense and getting making sure you're in the right play. Uh, there was a case on uh, Sunday, for instance, where the Patriots were overloaded defensively to the left. And the Cowboys ran a play right into the teeth of it when they were clearly outnumbered in pre-snap. And I'm not saying Brandon Whedon has the authority to audible out of that because I don't know. But any quarterback, uh, you know, I'm not, you might even burn a timeout there because you're just not going to run into the teeth of the strength of the defense uh, uh, at that level of football and get away with it. So uh, that's a case. And then once the play happens, uh, once the chaos of a play is going on, can he – uh, read a defense, can he get off his first option and uh, do more than just the panic check down? And then the third thing is when you do see an opportunity, can you put a pass somewhere in the vicinity so that your receiver has a chance? And unfortunately, in these three games, despite um, rather proficient uh, uh, ability to dump it off and, uh, and, and, make, and play a rather safe style quarterback, um, 
unfortunately beyond that he had real no, no real pre-snap recognition that I could detect no real in-play ability to read a defense and decipher what they're doing to you and then certainly no interest or ability to take chances or uh, take opportunities I, I hate to say chances that sounds risky um, but uh, you know the quarterback game is, is taking opportunities down the field um, right. to to not only get yards, but also to back off the safeties and give your running game a chance. So just on all those counts, Whedon was not passing the test. So so then you come around to, well, is Matt Castle the answer? And there's a lot of people that are, are now acting like if Castle doesn't throw for 360 and four touchdowns, they're going to be mad at those of us who thought this had to happen. I would say <laughs> uh, cur- curb your enthusiasm, and, and this is not a fight between Brandon Whedon and Matt Castle. This is simply an alternative idea because Whedon has shown what he's capable of and, more importantly, what he's incapable of. And now that Belichick uh, pretty much gave the entire blueprint for um, keeping the Cowboys under 10 points, which is doubling Beasley and Witten underneath, um, well, then I, I think the Cowboys were almost painted into a corner where they had to uh, give Castle a chance. And, you know, Castle's got 34 NFL wins. I know wins are not a quarterback stat. It's a team stat. Right. But 34 of those versus five for Whedon, um, I think it's worth a shot. I think it's vital the Cowboys go two and four in the next four games or two and two in the next four games here. And I just don't think Whedon was going to get them there. It's possible Castle will. So um, although Castle, I don't think is the answer to too many problems, he might at least give you a a reasonable to slight upgrade over what you're currently working with. And maybe that's enough to, to scratch out a win or two. Yeah, you hit on all of the points that I had uh, talked about since, basically since Romo went down. The uh, the true downgrade from Romo to Whedon was the loss of the mental aspect of playing quarterback. The things you mentioned, the pre-snap reads, working with Frederick to get the line calls correct. Uh, all of those sorts of things that Tony Romo has basically become a master of in the back half of his career. Uh, I, I think that's really what elevated him to an MVP-like performance in 2014, uh, his overall mastery of the field. And things have just slowed down so much for him. And then you see the stark contrast when you're watching weeding out there and just completely overlooking open receivers and his progressions just seem to be off. It's just, it, it, it's just a stark contrast between the two. You know, what we talk about with a quarterback and when he's drafted that he might need two or three years to kind of figure out the NFL game. They're not talking about his ability to throw a spiral or, uh, you know, to throw a, uh, a post route or a dig or a, or a corner route or something like that. They're talking about just the, the mental aptitude to understand how complex, you know, running an offense is in the NFL. So um, that's where Whedon lacks, and that's kind of where he's always lacked. And uh, maybe just maybe Matt Castle in 72 or so NFL starts has a, has a better mental aptitude for the game of football, even if his arm is, uh, is certainly not uh, something that's going to uh, wow the crowd. Now, I wrote an article last week where I didn't straight out rip the coaching staff, but I kind of took them to task uh, for their share of blame uh, because obviously – when the Cowboys lose, everybody wants to say, well, it was A. No, it was B. And instead of saying, well, it's pretty much, you know, a combination of everything, a lot of people aren't doing their jobs uh, to the to the point of being able to help this team win. Uh, so I wanted to focus on the coaching staff when I wrote this article um, for them not doing their part while Romo and Dez are out as far as them stepping up. Uh, we saw the issues with – I had big issue with Lance Dunbar on kickoff returns to begin with. 
and if Lucky Whitehead isn't the answer, why is he on the roster? The Atlanta timeout before halftime, the no New Orleans timeout when Gashkar gets injured, just things like that slipping through the cracks for this team. And basically, to me, it reverted to what we've said about the Jason Garrett regime all the way up until last year when things miraculously changed. So my, my question is, is this sort of who they are and the greatness of Tony Romo last year kind of masked that issue of the coaching staff? Or do you think that it's just more so me finding something to complain about with the coaching staff? Well, there's no question if you're a good team and uh, maybe bordering on a really good team, um, you can you can overcome a lot of things. You can overcome a bad interception. You can overcome a bad coaching decision in a game. I mean, the margin for error for the 2014 Dallas Cowboys was actually quite big. Uh, it surprised right. us, but uh, it was it was pretty clear by uh, December 1st that this team was pretty legit and that uh, right. they could beat most teams and most and didn't really matter where the game was played or how the game was played. The Cowboys were pretty good. And they did not have to play perfect games to survive. And so, yeah, if you take away, you know, a, a, a MVP candidate, a quarterback, and another MVP candidate, a running back, and maybe even another uh, top three to five wide receiver in the sport, uh, you take all those away, your margin for error drops every time. And so now these small errors, uh, or, or at least uh, normal size errors in football, um, their, their importance swings your, your ability to overcome them to a point where, you know, if you, if you mess up three decisions in a game with the 2014 Cowboys, you might probably still win. Uh, but with the 2015 Cowboys in this current state, um, yeah, blowing that timeout situation against Atlanta right before halftime, uh, that only brings you for a, uh, a field goal. But that might be the difference between winning and losing with this uh, with this crew. And then, yeah, absolutely, the idea of not banging a timeout with that 12 man on the field, or even the catch car uh, injury in overtime, those are two big coaching issues as well there. And so you just start going down the list, and um, maybe we revert a little bit to the 2013 Cowboys or the 2012. I guess it was 2012, maybe where the uh, the game in Arizona was such a debacle, and it looked like uh, right. Jared was. Was 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 kind of clueless. Well, the reason those decisions stuck out to us so much was that was a 500 team just scratching and clawing and trying to get the nine wins by any means necessary. So so this is, you know, this is kind of how football works: is that the coaches on the lesser teams they make bad decisions. So do the coaches on the best teams. Uh, you know, I can speak uh, with with great authority that Mike McCarthy makes a lot of mistakes, but um, <laughs> most of most of them are erased uh, with with a really good quarterback who uh, who can cover up a lot of problems. But but this is just not the year the Cowboys can afford uh, trips and falls at various spots, and and, and uh, you know I think that's illuminated from quarterback play uh, with just I mean we didn't only threw that one horrible interception against Atlanta. What's the big deal? We've seen. We've seen three interception, four interception games. Why are you guys so mad about one? Uh, the reason we're so mad about one is that one was all that they could handle. And uh, that yep. kind of broke the dam right there. And then, you know, uh, on Sunday there were a couple other throws. Maybe more the ones that bothered me from the Patriots game or maybe the missed opportunities more than the bad throws. But anyway, when it comes to quarterback and coaching, your margin for error obviously is on a sliding scale. And, and as we see, until Dez – 
and uh, and Romo return, and you know we've been saying until Greg Hardy and Rolando McClain can get here, they've been down so many pieces that their margin for error is pretty much down to nothing. Indeed, indeed, and we are rocking with one of the best people that you can ever ask a Cowboys question to. So we're going to milk every ounce out of the situation we can. Of course, the one and only Bob Sturm. Follow him on Twitter at Sports Sturm. You will not be disappointed. Let's switch to the defense. You mentioned Greg Hardy, and, you know, Dallas has had a problem with the pass rush for years, and they add a premier pass rusher, and voila, they have a bona fide pass rush against the Patriots. Uh, Five sacks in the first half. Brady had only been sacked six times on the entire season up until that point. Now, it came with a bit of a twist as we saw the Cowboys running a dime formation, uh, three down linemen, two backers, six defensive backs. Talk to me about what you saw. You're my X's and O's guy, along with, uh, obviously, my, my guy, Joey Ikes. Talk to me about what you saw in that dime formation. Well, I mean, it was it was pretty interesting. Uh, the, the basic 3-2 front that they rolled out is, is not what we expected. We expected kind of the the normal four down linemen with one linebacker behind it. And, and this, you know, when you, when you look at it, uh, obviously the, the difference between a three, four and a four, three is, is, is more of uh, the ability of a three, four defense to kind of uh, ambush you and who's coming and who's not. Whereas a four right. down uh, defensive line is, you, you, you know exactly who's uh, rushing and who's not, but it's, uh, but they're comfortable with, with um, pretty much stating their not following. So I, I, I really like this only from a standpoint that I think Rolando McClain um, can certainly can certainly bring the pain in his own right, especially with a running start. So uh, what the benefit of three down linemen and two linebackers gives you, of course, is those linebackers uh, uh, come with a head of steam. They can pick the uh, – the routes that they want to take to the quarterback. Uh, they can certainly hide behind a defensive tackle or twist around a defensive tackle and then and, and roll out on the other side. So I, I think they were able to cross New England up tactically quite a bit. I don't know that future opponents will be as surprised because uh, the Cowboys were, were clearly saving that for, for one ambush opportunity. It might be a look they go with more, but I still think – um, in a perfect world, we're going to get to a point where you have Greg Hardy and Tyrone Crawford inside and Randy Gregory and Demarcus Lawrence or Jeremy Mincy on the outside. And I, I think those four probably uh, make more sense long-term than McLean. But I think McLean, you know, gives you another option. And he obviously is still a tremendous football player. I just don't know that I love him on nickel downs more than I love, uh, um, you know, the option I just, I just said. So they really the key with Hardy is he's just doggone good. And what makes him really impressive is not only does he have a, a, a quickness around the edge that we saw where he just made Nate Solder look silly, um, but mm-hmm. he also can go in, he can go inside and, and, and uh, just push guys around in there. So Hardy's a special player. He's uh, obviously a talking point for a lot of people, but if you just get down to analyzing him as a football player, which is pretty much all I ever want to do. Um, that's, right. I, I just I just think he's so darn impressive and uh, and he changes everything and I think if you can put that next to um, what Greg, uh, Randy Gregory showed us in training camp and even the first part of that Giants game I think the Cowboys pass rush is going to be pretty sweet and I think we started to see that on Sunday so um, the, there's there's a, there's a fair amount of optimism now 
the secondary certainly got gashed quite a bit on Sunday, but, um, um, I, you know, I, I, I don't know necessarily if there's a great way to defend the Patriots uh, scheme with the rub routes and the pick plays and the fact that it borders on being illegal. Um, you know, they're great at what they do. I don't know necessarily how you scheme against it. I just think you, you try to, you know, it's almost like playing Baylor uh, in that you just, you just <laughs> hope that uh, they, they throw an incomplete pass once in a while to give you a break. If they're on with that scheme, I, you know, the beauty of it is it's just so impossible to stop, especially with the personnel they have where they can, they got those little guys who run that scheme perfectly and then they can just line mm-hmm. Gronk up by himself on the other side. And if you're not double teaming him, they're going to go to him all day long because he can just overpower any any defensive back you put out there, he overpowers him. Any linebacker, he runs past him. And so uh, they're the Patriots for a reason, aren't they? Hey, you, you were a lot more politically correct in your framing of the Patriots offense than I would have been because you said borderline illegal. Those pick plays <laughs> need to be outlawed from the NFL immediately. Not immediately, immediately. <laughs> well, it, <laughs> those, those and things, I, I it's indefensible. It. Well, it is, and and I look at it uh, from a slightly different perspective. Just saying, if if the Broncos and if the Patriots and if the Saints and if the Packers and if uh, everyone who is at the top of the league is going to uh, use it, then you might ask your offensive coaches. They're clearly yeah. not calling it, or if, or if they are calling it, they're calling it twice a game or once a game, which you might just say, well, that's part of the cost of doing business. Let's run it exactly. twenty times get offensive pass interference once or twice. I, I, I keep coming back to what is it about Jason Garrett and Scott Linehan that, that prefers not to uh, employ those tactics. I remember it a little bit last year. Uh, a couple times they would run it, and I know they have concepts right. like everyone does, but, but man, it, it would seem like uh, with Cole Beasley and Lance Dunbar when he was healthy, that, that screen that the Cowboys should be uh, not petitioning to the league to take him away, but but trying to figure out how to copy what the Patriots are doing because nobody, even the Seahawks, can really slow that down. Well, I, I'm I'm long past the point of hoping that Jason Garrett uh, does something that would be considered uh, overly creative. He believes in his system. He believes in uh, sticking to it. You're never going to see a trick play out of this guy, and I don't. I wouldn't call a pick play. Uh, a pick route or a rub route, a trick play, but it just doesn't seem to fall into the wheelhouse of what he finds acceptable offense. So, yeah, to, to me, it falls into the category of what the Seahawks do on defense. Uh, they are overly physical yeah. and grabby, and, and they just challenge the referees to call it, and the referees simply aren't going to call it every time. So they get away with it 80% yeah. of the time, and it turns them into a, a, into a great dynamic. So. That's uh, it's uh, Pippen and Jordan playing defense. Uh, you know, getting really physical. They're not going to call yep. it every time. And then, and then by the end of the game, the other team is uh, either uh, uh, exhausted, beat up, or uh, spending all their time complaining to the refs. And and you're getting yep. away with it again because uh, because the league understands that blowing whistles and throwing flags the entire night is horrible television. So uh, they they all. Um, they're only going to call the most severe infractions and they're going to let everything else go. So um, the Patriots realize this and uh, that's why they win 13 games a year. And I, uh, you know, uh, you're right. Garrett isn't much on innovation. He, uh, he, if he had his way, he would run the 92 Cowboys offense and that's, uh, <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, as far as hoping he would, uh, you know, watch uh, Thursday night football and watch uh, the Patriots and say, Hey, I got an idea here. Uh, that's, that's probably not going to happen. 
No, he he believes in what he believes in, and that's uh, all there is to it. Uh, You did bring up a great point earlier that I want to circle back around to uh, when we were talking about the pass rush, and the edict is always the pass rush helps the secondary, the secondary helps the pass rush. You know, it has that, uh, that kind of relationship. But I have to wonder, when I watch these games and I watch, and I hate to slander a player that does things that I could only dream about doing. Uh, you know, I don't put myself in the wheelhouse of being a know-it-all or anything like that. But when I watch the Cowboys' safety, I feel a sense of dread on a weekly basis. Tackling has gone downhill. Angles are still questionable. Is there any way that the Cowboys can truly have an elite defense with the safeties, not including Byron Jones, because that might be the transition that they're trying to make as quickly as possible. But with Church and Wilcox, the way that they play, isn't that last line of defense being so leaky and so questionable, something that would pretty much always stop this team from becoming an elite defense? That's uh, that's, that's a fair question. Um as I look back at 2014, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm overall, I was pretty satisfied with the safety play from, from the basis of, um, they, they, they made sure that uh, there were not too many big plays. If you look back at that season and you're just trying to, you know, run through your head about the big giant defensive uh, letdowns, uh, safeties weren't involved too terribly often. So I started thinking maybe Wilcox is turning a corner and maybe Barry Church is, uh, you know, figuring it out. And, you know, this year the Cowboys have, have really moved their coverages. And I would love to – I would I, – I just don't have time to um, to basically – uh, go through all the coverages from last season so that I had something to compare it to. But I swear the Cowboys were way more uh, cover three last year, and this year oh, yeah. they're way more cover one. Um, I just don't, you know, I like to quantify that, and I just don't know uh, necessarily um, what the numbers are, but it seems like they're in cover one all day now uh, with man free, man in the hole, running around with the robber, and that's, you know, often Barry Church, or it could be, uh, you know, somebody like McLean or Sean Lee. But um, what that means, though, is way more exposure to man coverage, of course, and way more dependency that your safety can clean up messes. And so um, as we've gone through these first five weeks, maybe the safeties are way more exposed in this situation than they were last year. And maybe, and I'm using maybe a lot here, uh, <laughs> but I, it, it's, 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 it's difficult to speak in absolutes, but uh, – it does seem like in 2015 we have uh, raised our eyebrows at the safety play far more. Um, is that is that scheme-based? We're asking more of them, and therefore they might not be capable of more. Uh, is that uh, we're missing Skandrick? We're missing a pass rush until this past Sunday? Um, it, there's something to what you're saying. And uh, certainly Wilcox, uh, you know, taking a bad angle on Julio Jones didn't help, and and the uh, even the Barry Church trying to get the C.J. Spiller down in New Orleans, the, the, their their fingerprints are on more crime scenes in 2015. I'm just trying to figure <laughs> out. I'm I'm just trying to figure out if the Cowboys are trying to do something they may not have the perfect personnel for, uh, and that's why coming out of the bye week, maybe we see more Byron Jones, and maybe we see more Corey White. Um, uh, you know, I, I think I think they want to play more aggressive. Uh, defense and i you know that that might mean uh more pressure on their secondary than we saw last year where they generally had seven guys back in coverage and they were all helping each other 
This year it looks a little more like, look, you you got to get this guy on your own, and uh, we'll have a safety back uh, to try to clean up messes. So it's a it's a subtle change. I think close observers are aware of it, but I'm not positive uh, nationally. Uh, you know, people know how different the Cowboys' defense seems to be running this year to last. Yeah, I think I think the loss of Scandrick changed everything for the way that this secondary. Uh, had the potential to play uh, because I could have easily seen a secondary that had, uh, you know, Carr and Moe on the outside, Skandrick in the slot, and then putting Corey White at as the uh, the center fielder and having Byron Jones playing the Darren Woodson role, uh, you know, in, in the slot, on the tight end, doing those sorts of things. Um, but alas, we don't have Skandrick, so we might not ever see what they fully intended, uh, and they're just in scramble mode and trying to figure out what to do with the pieces that are left. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's right. And uh, honestly, when Skandrick went down, I I kind of wondered if they were going to scrap their plans of uh, all this man coverage. But uh, nope, full steam ahead. So uh, I guess <laughs> I guess we uh, we respect that. But uh, now they got to make it work uh, long term. The good news is that there aren't too many uh, games against the Patriots on the schedule. Right. Right. Yeah. That that makes all the difference in the world because uh, as as I said, since the preseason, the Patriots aren't. Double- they're at a double middle finger mode to the entire NFL, and uh, they're just a juggernaut right now. So I would not be surprised to see them standing at 16 to 0 at the end of the season. So no shame in going down to the Super Bowl champs. Uh, before I let you go, I want to talk yes, about sir. the running game. Yeah, uh, because obviously that's the talk of everybody. The Cowboys were so dynamic last year, and they're struggling so much this year. So let's break it down quickly, piece by piece. Uh, are the Cowboys game sure. wise? inviting teams to load the box based on the formations that they run. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot to that, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, we got, we got a little bit drunk on success last year with this running game. Oh yeah. And uh, that's, you know, that's cool. Uh, but uh, some of the superlatives out in the spring and summer are now looking a little foolish. Uh, the idea that this, uh, you know, is the best offensive line in football. It could be one of the best of all time. Uh, you could put a, uh, a chicken back there running back and he'll be fine uh, <laughs> running behind the line. I mean, just, just all of these things. Um, it, you know, I, we don't know if they would have uh, figured it out with Romo and Dez, um, but, but, but given, given the circumstances they're facing, uh, their, uh, their running game has been, uh, you know, um, made to look pretty uh, pedestrian. And uh, with that, is is the idea that uh, playing into tendencies and just uh, being um, super super predictable or stubborn or however you want to say it, um, you know the Cowboys haven't quite really adjusted yet, and I wonder if uh, they're going to do some self scouting this week and say, you know what, we can't run the ball 85% of the time when we're under center, and you know. 70% of the time on first and 10. And I think that first and 10 number on run plays that shoots up to well over 80%. If you, uh, if you modify it for game situations where they're not a mile behind or they're not in a two minute drill, they're, uh, right. you know, even sun, even, even Sunday, their first eight first down seven were runs and one was a quick uh, pass to Randall, which was essentially a run. And, you know, they, they're kind of using last year's template even though defenses don't respect last year's offense, nor should they, by the way, uh, the, the NFL is a, 
it's like a three week league. And uh, you probably know this, but uh, but but I, you know, the average listener may be interested to know that usually when you prepare a game plan, you're using the last three to four games, and uh, those are the reels you're breaking down, and those are the tendencies you're worried about. So, any idea that uh, teams are looking at the 2014 Cowboys to prepare for the 2015 Cowboys, that might be true with division rivals who uh, have plenty of time in February and March, but the week to week opponents, the uh, the Patriots or the Seahawks or any of these one-off opponents this season, they're only using the last month of material um, for the most part to prepare. And, and so when they look at this team and they see how predictable um, the run counts are and really how often it's outside zones uh, versus inside and how little they use man blocking these days, I, I think the count is uh, almost 90% zone blocking. And of that, it's uh, – I want to say two thirds outside zone stretch plays yep. and so forth. It's 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 not complicated. So on first down, if, if it's uh, if it's a neutral score situation, the Cowboys are uh, running uh, most likely an outside zone play on first and ten. That's just uh, you know that's uh, any opponent who doesn't sit on that is stupid. And so what that means, of course, is uh, we are crowding the box, and and that's why any sort of um, uh, criticism towards the offensive line, you know, I, I don't want to protect them. I don't want to say they've been perfect because as you detailed earlier, when a team is losing games, there's usually 20 culprits, not one. Uh, right. and, and there's no question there have been occasions where the Cowboys offensive line is not impressed. Uh, a little bit at Philadelphia and a lot against Atlanta come quickly to mind as um, it wasn't because there were nine in the box. It was because their guys up front whipped our guys up front on a few occasions. It happens. It's the NFL. They pay their players too. Um, uh-huh. But uh, but 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 overall, uh, I would say it is a math game. And uh, not to reference Baylor again, but I was uh, watching something about uh, you know their coaching staff and the fact that they really think so much of their scheme is just based on being able to count. And if you can count. Uh, then you know what we should be doing on this play, and it's just simply counting the men, the defenders in the box. And uh, if we can if we can get enough defenders to sit on the pass, we're going to run. And if we have enough sitting on the run, we're going to pass. And it's just that simple. Well, the Cowboys um, have been unable to do that. This is no secret. I'm not breaking news here, but uh, the defenses know on first and second down. Um, here's here are the three likely options. Let's sit on them. Let's uh, let's have our safeties and linebackers heading north to uh, to get into the run fits and to and to really make sure that uh, any of those combo blocks that the Cowboys try to run they, they they're just outnumbered. And so when you say how's the offensive line looking this year, Bob, I would say well honestly uh, they're blowing a few blocks here and there, but you know what they did in 2014 as well. But the numbers are just off, and that means. There's no two guys clouding uh, over Des Bryant. Um, there's no there's no fear of Tony Romo. All that's gone, and that changes everything. And this you know this idea, and I tried to quiet it in the springtime, but nobody wanted to hear it because the Cowboys almost made the Super Bowl last year. But but any of this nonsense that uh, this is now like Nebraska in the '80s, and they'll just run <laughs> for 300 yards against everybody, and it doesn't matter. It's just that's not the NFL. The NFL, even bad rushing defenses, if they decide we're going to stop the run, they're going to stop the run. If there's if there's no threat of an aerial bomb over their head, right. 
Uh, NFL defenses are just too good, and there's nothing five offensive linemen or five and a tight end or five and two tight ends are going to do against nine guys in the box who are determined to stop the run. So um, I think, and, and we, you know, on our show, we pretty much predicted this, that when Des Bryant got hurt in week one, this is when Romo was healthy. We talked about yep. this. So yep. Romo's still healthy, but Des is gone. We, we did a segment saying, you know what, the running game is going to regress substantially. It's not going to look good, and everyone's going to blame uh, DeMarco Murray being gone. They're going to blame Bill Callahan being gone. They're going to blame everything, and really all it is is Des Bryant's gone. And when Des returns, the math is going to get squared away. When Tony Romo returns, the math is going to go back, and I bet you that uh, the running game may not ever approach DeMarco Murray levels with uh, this cast of characters, but I'm pretty sure – the running game will be back to getting, you know, 130 and 135 yards a game, which is well, probably all anybody wants. Yeah, I, I, as most of my listeners know, I don't live in the Dallas area, so I didn't get a chance to see the beginning of the Cowboys game because the Cleveland-Baltimore game went into overtime. Uh, so I didn't get a chance to go back and watch that until uh, Monday. So I put the tape on, and the very first play of the game, I see the Cowboys. The Patriots had nine men basically in the box within seven yards of the line of scrimmage, and the Cowboys still ran the ball. I said, well, that explains everything. <laughs> that that right. explains how the rest of the game broke down. It, their refusal to even change the first play of the game, looking at nine men staring you in the face right there, and they still ran it, got two yards. Of course, that's all they could get. I, I, I just knew immediately there how it, it basically explained how I saw the rest of the game play out. Because in essence, when the Cowboys spread it out, it seemed like there was room for Joseph Randall to run. But for some reason, they do this. And this has been a complaint of myself and Jeff Cavanaugh on 1053 uh, that the Cowboys, for some reason, are committed to stuffing their, their offensive line, their tight ends and multiple sets. Uh, multiple tight end sets and trying to run and bully people as opposed to spreading them out and taking better advantage of one-on-one matchups. And it's just confounding to me that they would continue to do, to do that when there's no threat over the top to try to loosen up the defense. It, it doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And then that goes back to, you know, when we talked about coaching and I didn't really hit on this earlier, but I think it, uh, it, it stands to reason is they, they, they just simply have to cross up the tendencies. They just, they, they, they can't, run the ball 85 to 90% when they're under center, pass the ball 85 to 90% when they're in shotgun. And trust me, they're doing that right now. We, uh, we keep the numbers closely, and, and, and they are absolutely so predictable it's not even funny. And it's really, really important that uh, you, you, especially when you have no advantage at the quarterback position, that you just don't play um, into those tendencies. You've got to keep the defense off balance. And uh, furthermore, um, you've got to roll the dice a little bit more. And that's why, you know, while I don't think Matt Castle is, uh, is anyone's savior, I do think um, Whedon has proven he, he's not. And they just have to have the faith that once in a while we're going to uh, take a chance down the field. We're going to take an opportunity, as I said earlier. And, um, you know, honestly, they can't be kicking field goals at the five-yard line. They just they just have to realize that the uh, risk-taking is vital right now, and uh, they, they are playing it uh, close to the vest, and that's not going to work. Oh, yeah, you know, this is the type of team that throws three consecutive phase for Terrence Williams in the, in the, in the, uh, at the goal line. So, <sighs> But we can't complain about it because sooner or later, 
somebody will come save us. His name is Tony Romo. We just hope that the season isn't lost by the time he gets back. Uh, Mr. Sturm, it is my esteemed pleasure, as always, to chop it up with you here on the show. Uh, you are welcome back anytime. Uh, I feel like I'm imposing if I ask you to come on more frequently than I do. Uh, but you you are definitely a, a blessing to our listeners, and you give the knowledge all the time. For those of you out there, make sure you're following him on Twitter, at Sports Sturm, and he is on Dallas Morning News daily. If you aren't reading uh, his, his pieces, his analysis, his uh, – his Marinelli uh, report and basically everything that he produces is Cowboys gold. So make sure you're checking it on, checking it out on a regular basis. Mr. Sturm, thank you for your time, sir. Well, it's very nice of you to say all that. And, and I, you know, while a guest might say this, what I'm about to say, uh, and you might just say, well, he's just saying that I'm really not seriously ask me anytime. I'm happy to do it. It's uh, it's fun popping on. All right, man. We're going to chat again real soon then. Okay, man. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. And again, that is the one and only Bob Sturm here on Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. We're going to take a quick musical interlude and be right back with you. favorite segment of the show it is time for a hook line and sinker with the fish the one and only cowboys insider mike fisher joins us here on crunch time my man fish how goes it sir well it's uh we got we got rangers and mavericks stars and cowboys so but dallas is on fire right now it's a full slate for the dfw right now obviously we're recording while the uh the Rangers are trying to keep their postseason alive and move on to the next round. Uh, by the time most people listen to this, the decision will already be made. Uh, so we will move past that. But, yes, it is a mass preseason. The Stars have started uh, the NHL season, and it's just a fun time to be a sports fan all around. But nothing beats being a sports fan of the Dallas Cowboys franchise. And once again, it's been a whirlwind, 36 hours for the club. Uh, obviously, the biggest news is that they have moved on from Brandon Whedon as the backup starting quarterback for the Cowboys and handed the keys over to Matt Castle, uh, amongst other moves that came out today. Let's tackle that one first because that actually leaked yesterday, probably at the hands of Brandon Whedon and his people after he was informed of the switch. Let me ask you for your take on it. Is this the move that the coaching staff made, or is there a hint of a little bit of front office interaction going on here? The quarterback move was made by the coaching staff, and okay. it was made. It was made along with the recognition. And I think this is so important for Cowboy fans to understand. They are not changing to a better quarterback. They are just changing quarterbacks. That Castle's right. not inherently better than Brandon Wheat. You know, one of them was a first round draft pick. Another one was a seventh round draft pick. Uh, one of them has more skins on the wall in Castle. The other one. You know, was was viewed to have more promise coming out of the draft, 
but you're changing bus drivers. And I, I keep trying to suggest that the reason the coaches are doing this is the placebo effects. They are, mm-hmm. they are, they are feeding Valley Ranch a sugar pill, hoping that Valley Ranch, uh, in its hypochondriac sick state, will feel like, oh, good, I, it, it's it's a miracle solution. I feel so much better, and it can really have a positive effect, but it is a placebo effect. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see your point on that. From my point of view, the issue with Brandon Whedon didn't really bubble over until this game against New England where you saw him wildly erratic on some of his passes. And, I mean, there were some plays where he had four people wide open. Uh, You know, obviously, Matt Castle is here to drive the bus. He's not going to come in here and be slinging it all over the field. Uh, I believe he's already made a comment uh, today that basically said, uh, you know, don't pick on Whedon. The game plan is to not go deep. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing, but that seemed to be the, the intention behind uh, his words when he, when he talked to the media. So the question, I guess, remains is, is Castle and hopefully the, the shortcomings that Whedon has, and every quarterback approaches the game differently, are the shortcomings that Whedon had the reason that the Cowboys weren't able to have success against Atlanta and New Orleans? Because for all intents and purposes, New England was going to be a, a loss. I, I think most people can agree with that. Without all your guns, it's very tough to beat New England. But was Whedon the reason that they lost the previous two games? Can Castle improve on that in the next four games? I guess we'll see which way it plays out. Yeah, I guess my point is, and this isn't anti-Castle or pro-Whedon. This is just a fact. that. Uh, the fact that Whedon checked down too often or missed receivers deep or was reluctant to throw deep, there's, I, I don't know that Matt Castle won't do the exact same thing. You're, you're changing bus drivers. You're not changing from Brandon Whedon to Tony Romo. You're not changing from Brandon Whedon to John Elway. You're changing from Brandon Whedon to Brandon Whedon. And, and the club and the people in the building feel good about it because you have to change something. You can't go 0-3 and, and recognize the emotion and psyche that is tied to the position of quarterback and and not make a change. You just can't. It, this, was, this was very predictable, but not because the, the next guy is more talented. It's predictable because the next guy is the next guy. Well, I made a comment at the end of the game on, uh, on Sunday that Brandon Whedon's body language – down the stretch is what lost him the right. starting quarterback is what lost him the position because you saw Jason Garrett coming on the field basically pleading with him to not give up on himself and the team even though that they were you know down 24 points or whatever it was uh, as things were winding down but it was at that moment that I said Jason Garrett just changed his mind about Brandon Whedon being sticking sticking with Brandon Whedon as his quarterback and sure enough uh, 48 hours later we had to change. Uh, but that wasn't the only change that the Cowboys made. Today, I woke up, I went into work, and I was greeted on my Twitter timeline with the one and only Mike Fisher telling us that the Cowboys were giving first-team reps not only to Matt Castle, but also to Christian Michael and Lyle Collins. And those are also big deals for the Cowboys' offense. So talk to me about yeah. where those moves generated from. Yeah, and my man, Ed Werder, uh, was was talking about this about 
I, I think I got a phone call at 7 a.m. and we put up our story at 7:16. So, uh, so and, and Ed Warder was very much in that mix. Now, the difference between Ed's take on this and my take on this is Ed is writing this like it, it's all etched in stone, and and I'm not willing to go there. By Al Collins was told you're going to be the starting left guard. Christian Michael was not told you're going to be the starting running back. Right. Okay. Um, Matt Castle was told you're going to be the starting quarterback. They're, they're not going to change out of the quarterback decision anytime soon. But while Collins has to play well, or or this this big this big movement, and Collins himself said today. He goes, you know, this is the start of something big for me. This is this is the beginning of my career. And I believe that's right. true. But if he plays poorly, he's going to get replaced. And if Christian Michael practices poorly next Wednesday, he's going to start. So I, I think we need to write these things in pencil and go forward. And that then that's the only difference between being my position and Ed's position. But uh, – the, the coaching staff thinks it's time to take a look at Michael and their rights. And ownership is pleased with the idea of taking a look at Lyle Collins, if you know what I mean, and I know you do. <laughs> you know I know what you mean, and that's why I asked the question <laughs> the way that I did. <laughs> right. So that, right. I, I think my concern is, that part of the offensive line's issues on why they haven't been the much ballyhooed unit that we thought they were going to be has been the injuries robbed them of working together in the, in the preseason. And then they carried over some of those injuries into the regular season because Ron Larry has his issues, but we've seen him at his pinnacle shut down JJ Watt. So we know he has talent in that body. He looked atrocious against the Patriots on Sunday Right. Is he still hurt? Is his groin still giving oh, him problems? Because he came back pretty quickly. He's got to be. And never he had a little back problem, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think he did what football players do. He felt the challenge from from the, the golden guy behind him. And right. he rubbed some dirt on it, and he said, I'm okay. And and he battled through it. And I, and I give him credit for this. Uh, and he, uh, Doug Free's doing the same thing. That's, right. You know, that's three's that's three's not right. And I would I would suggest that Zach Martin and his neck have not been right over the course of the last five weeks. <clears throat> but they you know, they duct tape themselves together and that's what they do. Uh but Jordan Ross had a great number on on Lyle Collins versus Ron Leary. Ron Leary is you know, he give, he gives up sacks, he gives up hits, he gives up hurries. A few of them. Lyle Collins in 57 snaps hasn't given up a sack, a hit, or a hurry. Yep, not a single one. That's a really good place to start if you want to support the argument of LC as the new LG. (laughs) And that just leaves us with the uh, Christian Michael talk, obviously. Uh, You alluded to the fact I had to not really backtrack on a tweet, but I initially tweeted that they were in line to start, and obviously – just him getting first-team reps does not indicate that. I believe with the presser, Jason Garrett did indicate that J- that Randall was still the starter, but he wanted to get Michael uh, more involved in the Cowboys game plan, uh, which to me indicates that they've done a shift 
and Darren McFadden is kind of is probably depending on how Michael performs in practice going to settle into being a poor man's Lance Dunbar uh, being the passing game back. Uh, but the Cowboys also made another move because they, they had workouts after practice today. And well, I'll let you carry it from there. Talk to me about what happened post-practice and the moves that the Cowboys made at the position. Well, and all of this establishes again, that, that nothing's written in stone, but they're wide open here. Uh, they're wide open to starting Christian Michael. That's a fact. Uh, they are, they are hearing the owner say, uh, boy, I, I sure think that old McFadden had a good game. And the coaching staff is going, what are you talking about? He did not have a good game. He had, <laughs> he had, a, good game for, he had a good game for fantasy owners, but he did not play well. Uh, Joseph Randall did not play consistently well. And so they give the tryouts to a couple guys that are scat-back types. Uh, Pete was one of them, and then LaMike James. And I believe that they wanted LaMike James to do really well. I, I believe they were prepared to have it work, and they were going to add him. Not unlike, if you'll recall, Christian Fonder and that workout. Remember that deal? Right, yep, a couple weeks ago. You know, they, were, they, they weren't going to trade for Matt Castle. They were going to sign Christian Fonder. But then the workout didn't go great. Same thing happened today, I think. The workout didn't go great with Mike James. So they turned to a completely different style runner uh, in Rod Smith, former Ohio Stater, who had some behavioral problems there. Uh, he's 6'1", two, or 6'3", 231. He's, he's, he's a gigantic kid, and I don't know if he can play running back in the NFL. What's really fascinating about it, KD, and, and establishes, once again, they're wide open here. They're, uh, you could paint them as grasping for straws. I choose not to do that. I choose to say they're wide open for answers. Um, Rod Smith returned kicks at Ohio State. Mm. At, at 6'3", 231, he was a kick returner. And so you talk about an, an out-of-the-box attempt at trying to find answers, uh, maybe instead of the scat-back kick returner, because LaMike James is a kick returner most of all. Maybe right. the reason you add Rod Smith is, you, you know, you want to see – if you can, if you can have a downhill runner as a kickoff returner, and the the amazing thing is, uh, they claimed him from Seattle. The Dallas Seattle dance with these running backs is obviously interesting. They traded for Christian Michael, uh, conditional seventh round pick uh, for him in the 2016 draft. Uh, Rod Smith, uh, I guess, was on their either way from them or on their practice squad, uh, so they got him. And, of course, the guy that's currently filling in for Marshawn Lynch is Thomas Rawls, who the Cowboys yeah. thought they, they legitimately thought that they had an agreement with after the draft as an undrafted free agent, and Rawls changed his mind and signed with Seattle. That could have been the Cowboys rookie runner. Uh, I, you know, I have a new article up on Cowboys A2 talking about the 2015 rookie running back class, and in there I obviously have to mention Rawls. They were this close, and I'm pinching my fingers together, they were this close to having that guy in their backfield and possibly being the solution that they keep trying to turn over. So they have a lot of respect yeah. for what Seattle's doing in their running back class, and now they have taken another guy from their stable. Well, and this is why, and, and I, I really enjoy Twitter, but this is why it's, it also frustrates me. But I've got a lot of guys coming at me and saying, the Cowboys should have signed Thomas Rawls. Well, but, but they, they, they did. Almost. Right. 
and then he, you know, then he said, "Oh, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna date somebody else." I mean, what are you, what are you supposed to do? Right, uh, you, I, you I can't, can't, I, can't I, grab him by the hair. <laughs> right. Um, the, the the cowboy scouting department basically viewed Thomas Rawls as worthy of their eighth round pick in a seventh round draft, and unfortunately, Seattle viewed him as the same thing, and that's that. Now. One of these days, somebody's going to ask Thomas Rawls, why did you pick a team that already has Marshawn Lynch instead of a team that was running back by committee? Because it doesn't, on, on paper, on surface, doesn't make any sense, does it? No, not to me. I mean, if if you were choosing between the two, I don't know if Seattle gave him a bigger signing bonus or made him a bigger promise. Uh, you know, that, hey, Lynch is going to be here yeah. just for one more year. Or, you know, there you we, go. obviously he, we'll need to he, hear he, that you know, from him. Maybe, I mean, maybe he likes, maybe he's friends with Marshawn Lynch or, you know, I don't know. I, who knows? But uh, your your piece today on running back by committee and what might have been, I think is really instructive because there's so many, you know, what Atlanta's doing is really interesting. That That's supposed to be Coleman's job. And and Coleman, I think, is, was a terrific prospect and still is. We agree, right? Almost definitely. He ran for 2,000 yards on a broken foot. So I completely uh, agree that he's still the top prospect. Cowboys loved him, but but then he kind of he, he he hurt his ribs just a little bit. He's 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 not dead. He's okay. Well, they, they might never put him on the field again in Atlanta. <laughs> right. That guy uh, Devontae Freeman, who started his role against Dallas. I don't know if anybody thought of this besides you and me. He's an MVP candidate. For reals, who who in the yeah, NFC? What what's 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 Atlanta's record? Five and zero, undefeated. Okay, and they play in the weakest division in football, right? That's what everybody said at the beginning of the year, but they're sitting there with two undefeated teams right now. Uh, that's true, but but if Atlanta wins that division, and he continues on, Devontae Freeman does anything like he's doing. It, he's he's going to finish behind the Aaron Rodgers. I mean, he's he's going to finish in the top five in MVP voting. And who planned that? Obviously, Atlanta didn't. Otherwise, they wouldn't have drafted somebody to play above him. So exactly, uh, there, you know, there, there there is no there is no exact science here. It's not a science at all, frankly. Yeah, no, it's it, that's what it is with the, with the draft. It's a crapshoot. You do all your scouting. You hope that the guy fits your system. And as you can see in the article, not everybody that was planned to be a super stud is coming through. Uh, you have, you know, Todd Gurley at the top. And then the other rookie runners that are having the best success are the guys that were at the bottom. The, um, you know, Carlos Williams in Buffalo, Thomas Rawls. Uh, these are guys that are either UDFAs or late, get late guys in the draft. And then everybody else in the middle that you thought was going to be dynamic in this very deep class has had some struggles along the way. So it's it's a very interesting take because we were all married to the idea that the Cowboys had to have one of these guys to take over their backfield, and their running game might be in the exact same situation if they had drafted one of those guys anyway. So it's, it's a very interesting look, and, and that's why I wanted to get it out during the bye week just so people could read up. I, I hope they go to Cowboys HQ, take a look at that article, and see what's going on with the running back position around the, around the NFL. Now, that, of course, is not the only news of the day. The Cowboys did return to practice, and with that, we need an update on the injured stars. We got two 
dynamic guys back from suspension last week, and now we're waiting to hear what's going to happen with these injured guys. So give us an update on the two guys everybody is hoping will suit up against the Giants. Yeah, Randy Gregory participated in practice today. This has been a long ankle sprain. Uh, yeah, it is. There, there's, no, there's no question now he's going to be ready against the Giants, and they're going to throw four, five, and six guys at you as a defensive line that, that are really going to be – I mean, if they, if they can stop you on first down – you're, you're in trouble on second and third down with this defensive line. Uh, Des Bryant did not practice, but Jason Garrett in the walk-off, not on the radio, uh, but afterwards said, well, Des isn't practicing today, but we really like his progress. Well, that's, that's quite a positive statement. He had to make clear that Des wasn't going to practice on Wednesday, which would suggest that it's coming. <laughs> and I don't know why anybody's really shocked about this. It's newsworthy, but it's not shocking. It fits exactly the schedule that Dez and the Cowboys have given me and given Cowboys HQ all along. The idea that he might be healed after six and would play in less than eight. And here come the New York Giants. Well, I think Cowboys fans worldwide are praying that that can happen. Uh, the return of Des Bryant to go along with the switch at quarterback to somebody that hopefully can perform better than what Whedon did against New England, the defense on the rise. It gives Cowboys fans a glimmer of hope that all is not lost and they won't be sitting at two and seven when Tony Romo returns. And that's pretty much all that they can ask for is is a glimmer of hope. Uh, The NFC East teams will play each other over the next few weeks as well. Uh, So nobody should be able to separate as long as the Cowboys can get a couple wins. And it's looking like they're on their way to having their full complement of players to try to affect that change. Fish, I'm going to let you go so you can enjoy your time in the sports hub that is DFW right now. Thank you. All right, Fish, we'll talk to you soon, man. (laughs) And that'll just about do it for this episode of Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. Thank you so much again for joining us. Special thanks to my guest, the one and only Bob Sturm. Follow him on Twitter at Sports Stern. And, of course, Cowboys insider Mike Fisher at Fish Sports. Make sure you're tuning in next week as we will have a special edition of Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. The host of the Blog and the Boys podcast, Rabble Rouser and Landon McCool, will join us here for a Knights of the Roundtable discussion on all things Cowboys with myself, Joey Ikes, and, of course, co-host Keith Mullins will be making his return. You do not want to miss that podcast. That's it for now. Follow me on Twitter at KD Drummond NFL. And of course, read along, view along CowboysHQ.com for all of your needs about our Dallas Cowboys. You know what it is. Salute. I know way too many people here right now that I didn't know last year. Who the fuck are y'all? I swear it feels like the last few nights. We've been everywhere and back, but I just can't remember it all. What am I doing? What am I doing? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm doing me. I'm doing me. 
I'm living life right now, man. And this what I'ma do till it's over, till it's over. But it's far from over. Uh, one thing about music, when it hits you, feel no pain. And I swear I got this shit that make these bitches go insane. So they tell me that they love me. I know better than that. It's just game. It's just what comes with the fame. And I'm ready for that. I'm just saying. But I really can't complain. Everything is kosher. Two thumbs up. Eva and Roper, I really can't see the end getting any closer, but I'll probably still be the man when everything is over, so I'm riding through the city with my high beams on, can you see me, can you see me, get your vibes in on, y'all just do not fit the picture, turn your widescreen on, if you thinking I'ma quit before I die, dream on, man, they treat me like a legend, am I really this cold, I'm really too young to be feeling this old, it's about time you admit it, I know way too many people here right now that I didn't know last year. Who the fuck are y'all? I swear it feels like the last few nights. We've been everywhere and back, but I just can't remember it all. What am I doing? What am I doing? Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm doing me. I'm doing me. I'm living life right now, man. And this is what I'm going to do till it's over. Till it's over. But it's far from over. Yeah, that's right. I'm doing me. I'm doing me. I'm living life right now, man. And this is what I'm going to do till it's over. Till it's over. But it's far from over. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.